0: Welcome to our newest adventure for First Responder Wellness. No one fights alone. In-depth conversations about mental health and culture in the First
1: Responder space. We're joined by your co-hosts Austin Petterson and Brad Shepard.
2: What's up, bro? I tell you, man, I don't know how we just spent the entire week
0: together, and here we are on a Friday doing the podcast digitally. I'd I'd like to say I'm sick of seeing your face, but I'm really not. I enjoy... I enjoy spending time with you. I, I feel like we just mesh and uh, we literally have spent all week together. I got home yesterday completely exhausted and uh, here we are chopping at the bit today. I sent you a text message. Hey, you want to jump on and do one of these? And it was an immediate. Yeah, let's make it happen. Even though
2: this is, you know, we're sponsored and everything like that, but this is definitely one of my favorite things that we get to do every week just because we just didn't talk about cool shit, meet cool people. Uh, even though the ones between us
0: um, are are what they are, right? But foundationally, they're just two idiots bantering about what we don't really know a whole lot about. That's very true. That's very true.
2: <laughs> I have no problem saying that uh, I am on the level of intelligence. I am down in the bottom tier. That's uh, I, what we'll say. I'm very comfortable with that as well. Uh, yeah. You just uh all the therapy and everything that I've done my entire life has uh, given me a level of self-acceptance
0: <laughs> and a confidence to speak to things that you know nothing about. Oh, absolutely.
2: I'm right there with can, you. Yeah. And, and I can talk. So if you just talk enough, I think
0: people lose track and you sound somewhat intelligent. For sure. I was really exhausted. I think I think today I feel pretty good. Uh, I think today would be a good conversation between us. But uh, you know, before we you know dive into anything too deep, I just want to man this this week has been a good week. We've been working on this curriculum and got the opportunity to put it in front of uh, you and some of the staff to just say, hey, what do you think? And opportunity to really absorb some hypercritical uh, super devil's advocate type uh, conversation pieces to this curriculum that we're trying to push out and roll out to uh, agencies all over. And I'm excited about it, man. It was a uh, great feedback. It was a really good opportunity to take a look at it and and uh, spend some time with Ben, uh, his perspective. That dude's so incredibly sharp and smart. Uh, just give him an opportunity to get up there and do his thing, sing a song, right? Oh yeah. The four
2: and a half hours of video that I have, I watched some of that and <laughs> I mean, it's so funny uh, to to see the kind of the banter back and forth because you both, both you and I have sat in our fair share of presentations when it comes to this particular topic, right? Whether it's a couple days, one day a week, wh- whatever it may be. And when you guys design this, it, it does have the appearance to be something a little bit different. And so I think, like, I always knew it was that direction, right? But then to see it put into practice was really cool just because I don't know anyone else that's doing it the way that you guys are, are planning on doing it.
0: Well, it's a little bit of a gamble, and we knew that. I knew that when I was tasked with building this. We needed to we needed to develop something a little bit different and unique. And the mindset was to actually build this so that you could... Uh, kind of the the old quote asking for a friend concept that's what kept resonating with me because so many times people in the audience they uh, they offer up questions hey I've got a friend you know it's got a drinking problem seems like he drinks too much well, sh- how should I I've got a friend that's having dark thoughts I've got a friend that works too much I've got a friend that is having trouble with his kids or hey I've got a friend that her marriage is on the rocks and you know this this concept of really taking it to the platform of the within the curriculum to say, hey, we're going to give you that friend and we're going to talk about you know Brian and Sue up here and really paint a picture. I think in our culture, we have a bad habit of really uh, preparing ourselves for the worst case scenario operationally. And we don't prepare ourselves for the worst case scenario for our personal lives. And I think this does this a little bit of just, hey, let's look at this a little bit different way.
2: Well, And here's the question that I have for you. In all of your years as a presenter, tell me, the majority of the time when people are saying, hey, I've got this friend, this fictitious friend, how often are they talking about themselves?
0: Oh, a large majority of the time. You know, not always. I I think there are occasions where people really do have or are sincerely asking. They've got a partner on the rocks. Those type of trainings, it's very common for the people who need to hear it. Don't show up. So there is that true asking for a friend. But the other side of it is oftentimes they're asking that question for themselves or their own personal lives, their own marriage, their own raising their kids, their own, you know, when you really start talking about these kind of hurdles and complicated issues, uh, which we don't, I don't feel like we talk enough about within our culture of how to live a happy life, how to live a life of being honest with yourself and true to yourself, uh, which is what a lot of this training is about. How do you how do you how can you really live out your career as a superhero and be true to yourself at home off the job? Well,
2: valued, right? Like we're I I kept noticing that that entire training that you guys are putting together, a lot of the, the core aspect of it is values. And I think naturally as human beings, we, we grow up with that set of values, right? And then as we progress in life, things happen, trauma, death, you know, all these other things that shape us into
0: people, we sometimes lose sight of those values. I think it's easy to uh, lose sight of something that you don't really know how to define I mean, just asking you, sitting through kind of the critique portion of that, didn't you find it difficult to actually look at that category of value and put a quantitative or qualitative definition to that value? I mean, I found it difficult in just just some of the stuff that I was doing in building the curriculum.
2: Oh, absolutely. Because nobody nobody ever like takes you know, a piece of paper, sits down and says – you know, titles, it values, and says, well, here's what my values are, you know, honesty, spirituality, or faith, and, you know, all all of those type of different things that you can, nobody does that, right? It just kind of naturally flows whatever way you grew up. And, and everyone's values are so different, right? There's no cookie cutter way, like some someone might value honesty, and another person might value truthfulness more, right? It's It's one
0: of those weird, Absolutely. If you and and the difficult transition is to put that value to words within, you know, honesty. Let's just say honesty. Put that into context of how do I live that value out? Well, I'm gonna be honest in my taxes. I'm gonna be honest in my uh, dealing business dealings. Um, you know, or or I value uh, relationships. Okay, well. Am I going to, how do I live that out within my marriage or my kids or my extended family? What, what do those values, writing those actually down on a piece of paper becomes actually a little bit difficult. Um, you know, you're adhering to them somehow, but if you don't have them clearly defined, that's what we've found in, in, uh, building this. And of course, this is a carryover from the actual Chateau experience, um, which is, Hey, let's, let's let's find out who you are. Let's find out, you know, what you're really about. And then let's figure out how we can be true to that concept.
2: Yeah. Well, that's, that's the interesting part is when most people don't, I mean, in treatment as a whole, and when I say treatment, I mean, therapy, I mean, everything and anything under the sun, right? A lot of the times, it's a very reactive process. It's identified the problem, whatever that problem is, Uh, It could be depression, it could be suicidality, substance use, whatever it is, identify that problem, and then work on solving that particular problem, right? Very, like, closed-minded into that goal, and I agree with Ben on this, and I think that's kind of proven really not to work great. Like, you can solve, I mean, you and I both know, you can solve your alcoholism, and you can be sober, but you're still a fucking prick at that point and what what does that do for you right like what does taking away one thing and you're still an asshole to everyone do for you
0: well in aa they call that a dry drunk yeah you know you're still a dick you're still you're still being an ass uh and you're still you know the those are generic terms for the reality of you're still exemplifying behavior patterns that are rude and irritating and uh, selfish and and just overall being a jackass
2: you're yeah, sober everyone, yeah, well, good for you, right like that's you know anyone who's just sober and not working on changing as a person and being a better better person is is not necessarily accomplishing the overall goal, right like I think the life is about being a good person and you know relationships and the people you love and your family and and everything like that. And if, if you can't work towards that, what are you working towards?
0: The strength of just being uh, secure in your own skin and, and extending grace and kindness has uh, really morphed into a weakness. It has lost its um, it's really lost its appeal to actually being strong in, in and of itself of just being kind, you know, Kindness is free. Uh, I heard that a long time ago. Uh, being kind is free. Extending gay grace doesn't cost you anything, but the ROI, the return on investment of grace and kindness is monumental. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, then let's jump into what we want to talk about today anyways, because this is a good path into it, is I think I we want to talk about therapy, right? And what what therapy actually is, what therapy consists of, and and a lot of people most likely that are listening have somewhat involved themselves, I mean, in, in therapy one way or another. And I think you and I have a different opinion on how to be successful in that than most people would. Um, that is because I'm a firm believer that if my therapist is going along with anything that I'm saying that is – justifying or being like, yeah, you deserve to act that way or talk to somebody like that, then then I have the wrong therapist.
0: You know, I think arguably within the first responder culture, I don't think they actually do have an idea or even a, if they do have an idea, it's a very distorted idea of what therapy really is or what it's about. And I think one of the aspects of this being a good topic is that we can talk about you know, rudimentary what it looks like behind that door. Uh, you and I both spent a lot of time back behind that door and what that looks like uh, on a lot of levels. And I think, it, I think it's a great opportunity to actually visit uh, something that goes on and you and I be a little bit transparent with ours. Because um, I think some of the, maybe the misinformation is that you just go in there and blabbermouth your way through something and they uh, give you the, hey, you're all good and get out of here. We'll see you next time. And uh, it's not really how it works, you know?
2: Yeah. Well, also too, at the same time, like you have to go in there with some type of understanding uh, or insight on yourself and your life, like a little bit, right? Like they're going to help you guide through those things, but they're not mind readers, you know, some, some can to an extent work through things and help you discover, you know, behaviors or motives or whatever it is. But if you're lacking a total insight of like, I think everything's just good. And I don't know why I'm here. You'll never be successful.
0: Yeah. My, my work told me that I had to show up or my, uh, you know, my loved one said I should consider therapy. So here I am, you know, do whatever you're going to do. Cause I got two hours. I got to get out of here. You know, I think that's, uh, that's a pretty common philosophical viewpoint. And th- and another portion of it is, is the stigma of really a fear of what are you going to find when you get in there? What are you going to find when you dig around in my brain and my heart that uh, could attach some crazy label, which you're crazy? Well, we're all crazy a little bit.
2: Oh, absolutely. I And it's funny you say that because I am a firm believer that Every single person is their own type of crazy. It doesn't matter who you are, male, female, whatever. It does not matter. Everyone's got a little bit of crazy in them and it comes out eventually one way or another. But I also don't think there's anything wrong
0: with that. No, it's understanding yourself and leaning into it. Uh, Ryan Reynolds, Deadpool line, your crazy matches my crazy, right? The classic line. Love it. The reality is we're all made different. We're all, we all have different makeups and experiences and backgrounds. And it's, uh, you know, it's the life struggles that end up challenging that a little bit that leads us to, you know, needing somebody to help us. Uh, you know, I'll use a really rudimentary definition. I, I, I find this often the case. I, I relate it to being unhealthy in other categories a lot of time when I speak, which is, you know, if your toe hurts, you're going to go to a toe doctor. If your, uh, heart's messed up, you're going to go to a heart doctor. Just so happens. This is a head and heart type malfunction, as it were, uh, of some type that you feel like, you know, something's not working right. So I need to go to a head doc. I need to go to a shrink or a therapist, whatever label you want to attach that to within my presentations. A lot of times I, I, tell people in fact i did it just this past uh week up in minnesota i said you you a first responder wouldn't go 25 30 years and never go see a medical doctor you wouldn't do it but we somehow think we can go 25 30 years and never go see a therapist and expect at the end of those 25 30 years to really be healthy it doesn't it doesn't make sense that's not i mean it's a part of our culture and it's a part of our the what we adopt as being real, but it doesn't make sense. When you say it like that, and when you think of it from the context of am I am I ensuring good health within my retirement? Now you really start asking some challenging questions of, hmm, maybe I maybe I should go see a therapist as a preventative medicine. And what if they do find something that is detrimental to my long term health? Okay. Great. Yeah, let's fix it, right? Let's let's cuz I'm I'm a firm believer too
2: that also nobody is broken. Like that that term to me is really off-putting. I think that people, uh, you know, we'll call it an injury, right? Same as the the new it's PTSD now, right? It is considered an injury. That's how I feel about people with their mental health in general. Uh, people come in and say I'm broken and I need you to fix me. Let's let's change that verbiage right there because a lot of therapy is also about perspective. Right. And coming in under the the mindset of I am broken and you need to fix me. It I I personally feel like and I've seen over the years, you know, the decade or so doing this is that's you you start off in a worse place than if you came under the mindset of like, all right, something's going on, right? Let me have an open mind and let me walk in here and be open, honest, and truthful with this therapist, and we'll go from there. Cause I've seen people that there's two perspectives once again with a client and and i'm guilty of this where someone comes in and i'm like there's no way in hell this person succeeds like whether it's they're an asshole or whether it's they just have a lot and then i've also been under the perspective of this person is going to do amazing and they don't
0: well let's be let's be real there too we Austin, you've never been a first responder, but uh, I've been around you so much. You really have this philosophical viewpoint of first responders that that is very similar. And I feel like you get that concept really well. So the example you just posed was um, very common to the first responder culture. And the question really lingering in the back of everybody's mind when you go into the therapy office for the first time is, are you worthy of my words? Are you worthy of my transparency? And am I going to allow my own curiosity to unfold within this office? You know, that's the first, that's the first one, you know, we'll actually know to, if, to be clear, the first step is actually it, it, being transparent enough to go to a therapy office. I feel like that's the first hurdle, you know, okay, I'll go. Okay, I'll go. Somebody's telling you to go. But I think that that then the second hurdle is are you worthy of my transparency? Are you worthy of my story? Are you worthy of, you know, have you earned enough respect? Am I gonna trust you? Am I gonna are you worthy of my trust? Right? Does that make sense? Yeah,
2: no, a hundred percent. And I think you're you're right. Cause that's that's also what I've seen as a big difference is that that trust factor. I mean, just for example, this is a classic thing that happens when we put somebody into treatment is over the phone with myself or another person, you'll get a snippet of what is going on with somebody. Right. And that is because they, they allow a little bit of trust to give you enough test you to say like, yeah, okay. Like, here's, here's kind of what's going on with me. And then when they come in and they walk through the doors and they, get a different level of understanding and they see people that are there to help them and everything, all of a sudden this massive amount of information comes out and you'll get a call from say the medical team or the therapy, you know, team and being like, did you know all this? No, I had no idea. They never told me this is the information that I got out of them. So you're exactly right.
0: I, I think that's a little bit of a test, right? They, they, They give you enough information to test you. I shouldn't say they, we, I I was the same. Uh, And still uh, a little bit on that level of, I'm going to give you enough information to test you to see if you're worthy of my trust or my, so true with uh, Chateau itself. They come in, I did the same thing. Are you worthy of my, are you going to hurt me? It's a protective mechanism of sorts. Uh, are you going to take care of me? Are you going to take care of my stories? Uh, you know, even just recently, I don't know, it was maybe a month or two back. Uh, I'd helped, uh, I was working with a fireman, firefighter, uh, great guy, you know, he, hero level firefighter, been through some crazy shit. Finally got him into a therapy office. He called me drunk that night. He said, yep, yeah, I went to therapy. Um, therapist ended up in tears. Uh, so now what? I'm not going back. You know, was that therapist? And I, and I'm not saying, I'm not banging on the therapist. Not That's not what I'm saying here. Because it's these are hard stories. These are difficult, really difficult stories. And if you're not prepared for them, they're going to be rough. But he felt like his trust was lost. His story was lost. And we had to work through that. We had to work through with, you know, what's that going to look like? Are you going to give them another chance of, it's okay that they were in tears. It's okay that they touched their heart. And, you know, what your story was was really difficult, but the reality of it was he was testing that therapist to see if they could handle what he was fixing to unpack. And he wasn't even, that was just, that was just step one. He wasn't even close to unpacking what was really going on with him.
2: Yeah. Well, and then two once again i'm a firm believer that for therapy to be successful this therapist has to be able to challenge someone's mindset or challenge beliefs or challenge thoughts so if this therapist comes in and can't even handle the story how are they supposed to help this person by challenging their thoughts and their beliefs right that's where that piece comes in back what i said earlier of like you when he told that story i'm guessing and we weren't in the room, but this is most likely what happened is they said, like, I understand why you feel this way. And you, you've been through so much and you, you can feel this and you can, you know, we understand why you're over drinking or you have suicidality. And I would too, if I went through all of this, right? Like that's, what's the agreeing portion that I find
0: not okay. Yeah. And we talk a lot about cultural competent therapists and cultural competent individuals working with our community but that's really what it comes down to do you understand how we talk how we speak how we what our expectations are when we do communicate and what we expect in kind back what we expect in return um, because I think you know this is this is a great opportunity to talk about Austin again one of the, the things that's great about getting to know you was how how adept you are at that communication piece just brutal honest. You know, and that's a very first responder culture type communication, which hey man, your shit's off. Like you need to square your shit away. That's not a that's not a common conversation in real world. You know, you're allowing for feelings and, you know, hurt stepped on toes and that's that's not often the case within first responder culture.
2: But that's also because I've gotten to the point through therapy that I am okay with myself to the point if this person, whoever it may be, says, you know what, fuck you. You're a piece of shit. Don't ever talk to me like that. I can go, okay.
0: Like that's, <laughs> you know,
2: like that's not gonna change my night. It's not gonna change my life. It's not gonna make me feel worse about myself. I'm gonna say, Well, I told them the truth and that's all I can do. And uh, if they don't choose, if they choose not to see that or, or react to that. I'm okay with that. Sure. There's there's nothing wrong. They weren't ready or maybe they need to take a look deeper in, right? But I got to the point of being okay with people not liking me. And I was never that way when I was younger. Absolutely not. Everyone had to like me and I'd tell you what you wanted to hear so that we could be friends.
0: Well, and there's still a lot of that in the undergirding of first responder culture as well right? We want to be accepted. We want to be, we want to, we want to make sure that our shit appears to be in order, even though sometimes it's not, which is why we have this podcast, which is why we have these conversations. And, you know, uh, you know, and, and again, kind of pulling us out of the rabbit hole here a little bit, just to go back to the therapy sessions. I think from a viewpoint of looking at therapists, I don't want to paint a picture like there's, you know, all therapy's bad. There are some amazing awesome, great therapists out there who are ready and willing to help our first responders. And they're worthy of our stories and they're ready for a guy or gal superhero to walk in there and sit down and say, I may be broken. Can you help me? And those, those people are out there.
2: Well, and that's before we, if, if it was misinterpreted at all, I'll say it very frankly here. I firmly believe in therapy. Firmly. Same. I think it is a great route. And I think that it helps with a lot of insight. There's a lot of things that we just can't behaviors and things like that, that we just can't see in ourselves. And we need someone to help point us out. And then also, we need them to do it in a way that is appropriate. And the feedback is taken in and you know, my significant other is not going to be the person that can do that always. They because there's just a different relationship there. It has to be an outside person looking in. And also, you know, the reality is the therapist can only go off of what comes out of your mouth. They can make some assumptions and things like that too as well, but they're not going to know everything. And so you get the opportunity to go into a therapist's office and say, I want to work on this. This is what I want. And they help you get there.
0: And I think that's why therapy oftentimes takes it has a feel like it takes a long time like i, I you know, i've been in therapy for years and nothing's nothing's working uh well you know the that begs the question how transparent are you uh because i agree with you wholeheartedly uh, same same viewpoint therapy is amazing and it's well needed at times it's a tool to be used and it's it's an amazing tool and i think it from the context of uh, connecting the dots there's just sometimes you can't connect the dots of what's going on with you and you need an outside perspective, specifically a trained expert in their field to connect the dots. I go back to that medical metaphor of, you know, you're not going to heal your cardiovascular woes on your own. Oh, I can do this. I got WebMD. That's not healthy. We know that. Uh, so contextually, sometimes connecting the heart and the head of what's going on with you really needs to be a trained expert in their field and could not agree more. There's some, this is well needed and timely specifically to, you know, the the point of taking time to actually be honest and say, here's where I'm at. Here's where I want to be. Can you help me? Well, I'm going to go back to what Scott and Liz had said
2: a few episodes ago was they, they worked through multiple different therapists until they found the right one, because I'm going to, there's a little story and I was working with this gentleman for a while, took him about a year to, from first point of contact on to, to go into residential treatment. And I remember speaking with him and I mean, he'd been going to therapy for years, right? But this, this particular therapist had coincided with a lot of his behaviors and a lot of the things that he was doing. And it's not my place to say like, Hey dude, I don't think this is the right therapist for you. Right. Cause I don't know what goes on in their sessions. Um that was the ultimate thing that he the ultimate um decision he made at the end, which was like, Okay, I, I had a different type of relationship with a therapist at Chateau. She was she held me to my feet to the fire, told me, gave me feedback, said, Hey, even though you've been through a lot, you don't have the right to treat people this way. Doesn't matter. You're still a human being and they're still human beings. Things like that ultimately helped him come to the decision that like this therapist I've been seeing for years is not helping me. We've we've reached a different type of relationship where now it's more of like a friend or a sounding board and they'll agree with me. And I just thought that was super powerful because like they there there's tons of options out there and people do different methods and things like that and you can find one that's going to work for you and sometimes even the
0: ones you think are working for you aren't. Sure. Again, using the the medical metaphor of you know, if you got a foot problem, you're not going to go to a proctologist, you know, for a for a foot problem. The there is specialty. I think this is a great opportunity to talk about some of the specialty therapies specifically that are out there. You know, and I'm again, I'm not an expert. I'm just somebody who's been hanging around this culture long enough to learn a few things. But you know, transitioning from trauma therapy to you know addiction therapy was one of the segues for me. Uh, you know, there's so many other therapy modalities out there and specialists of, you know, relationship. One of the things that you brought up, Scott and Liz, they were talking about relationship therapy. So who's the who's the relationship therapist that is unique to my needs? And can I find that person or modality that's going to be helpful to my life? Uh, Gottman-based therapy I know is something that I've uh, dove into a little bit uh, of learning and, and I feel very inadequate speaking to it, but I know the people who do speak to it really resonates with me. So it's, it's intriguing to know that if I need that relationship piece, I'd probably go to a Gottman therapist. You know, there's up to and including uh, all manners of therapy, cancer therapy. You know, we had that recent Vicki speed on with uh, blue cancer connect, you know, they, they have their own line of, of therapists specifically for the grief counseling portion of dealing with cancer. There's just, so many opportunities out there and again looking at therapy just randomly picking out the old yellow pages and sticking your finger on one is really not c- conducive to your needs and in, in a short turnaround of getting healthy yeah figure out what you need do the research like we all we
2: i know people say hey i don't have the time or i'm busy or this or that but Google's at your fingertips right and if you're struggling with something don't web md it like Vicki said, to to figure out what's going on with you, but do your research on what you think is the right approach, right? Some people like the more didactic conversationalist. Some people like, like for me, the therapist that I see is Arbinger specialist, uh, among many other things. Sure. But that was be, that was because I needed that mindset work. I needed to understand. I was, I was viewing people as objects, which is a broad term there instead of, and I was using them as vehicles, instead of seeing them as people who struggle with the same thing that I do. And so I needed somebody to be able to phrase that to me in a way that made sense. And so I did a little bit of research and I searched around and asked around and and found the one that works for me. And I started going back every week and then I lessened also too. So then it was every other week, then it was once a month. And then then things got a little weird again. And so then I went back to every other week and that, those are the things that you can do. Like you're in charge of your own process. And so if that's a huge part of going to therapy too, is go as often as you need. If it's once a week, take ownership of it. Yeah. Yeah. Take ownership. And you know, what it turned into me was, okay, now going every two weeks is working because by the time I come instead of every other week, because now I have more time in between where I can say, well, Hey, here's how I handled this situation. And tell me what you think about that. Is it, am I working towards my goals or am I not?
0: Yeah. You know, good therapy. My, my experience has been uh good therapy has been a, a good working relationship between you and the expert that allows you the opportunity to do more work outside the office than inside the office. So, My opinion would be if all the work is just culminating inside that office, uh, that's really not uh, good therapy. Uh, A good therapist is going to give you homework. They're going to give you challenges. They're going to give you different viewpoints to look at throughout the course of your life and your day, your daily living, work culture, home culture, whatever that is. I feel like that is what denotes a good therapy relationship a pathway to health yeah
2: because you'll get the opportunity to be to be an every single day (laughs) that's that's reality 100 percent. through Yeah. yeah through natural conversation and through interactions we will get the opportunity to enact some of the the stuff that we need to to be better humans or not right like or we can react in a way that is damaging and, you know, whether it's physical, emotional, whatever, to, towards other people as well. So each, each day we have a new opportunity to choose on how we react to people and especially in the first responder community because you're interacting with the public and you're also interacting with the public during crisis times in their life. Sure. So you get to practice in that job more than most people would right? Like that's,
0: well, I think probably circle around. And and as I'm looking at this, we probably need to, to shore this up a little bit. I I think as we kind of close this thing out, I would, I would actually challenge anyone listening to, if you haven't done some of the things that we're talking about, which is looking at your emotional, mental health piece, I would challenge you to, to take a, take a good examination of it and see what that looks like long-term uh, am I really being honest with myself about uh, my mental and emotional health? And career wise, I have met so many really good officers in my career that through the course of their career they were they were good and and come across good and believed that they were good. And then when they hit retirement, retirement slows you down to such a slow point that you have nothing else to do but to examine historically some of the things that went on in your life and now you're now you're a little bit off bubble as it were just to say you're not right you know that's that feeling of you know something's just not right and examine that so that retirement is right for you and find a good therapist get get connected get get connected as a as a preventative measure of just saying hey just make sure i'm i'm good is that that fair does that make sense to you Absolutely. And that's what we'll end
2: on, right? Like that's, that's the perfect segue out of this is exactly what you just said. So anyways, if you can, everyone follow us on Spotify, on Apple podcasts, whatever. Hey, we just got our first rating on spot. We got enough ratings on Spotify to have
0: it register a number recently. So super proud of that, by the way. I love this thing. I had no idea that it would be a listen. I thought maybe we'd get maybe 10 or 12 listens. This is thank you to the listeners out there that are actually tuning in and downloading us. And and I actually get some uh, infrequent feedback, but the feedback I get is so valuable. And it's not just, how you're doing great feedback. It's that was meaningful to me. You changed, you made such an impact and you changed something in my life and and such, such great feedback, which I just want to offer up that gratitude of, Hey, thanks for listening. Thanks for even giving us a a fair shake uh, because I know your time is valuable and uh, we want to honor that with uh, something that's meaningful on our end. Absolutely.
1: Thank you for listening to this segment of No One Fights Alone. We want to give a special shout out to our sponsors of this episode, Chateau Recovery and First Responder Trauma Counselors. Chateau Recovery is a 16-bed treatment facility nestled in the foothills of the Wasatch Mountains in Midway, Utah. Chateau's First Responder Resiliency Program is designed to treat the unique challenges and issues that first responders encounter in the course of their careers. Chateau's comprehensive and individualized approach to treatment addresses more than just the presenting issues, it addresses the why. Each of their trauma-trained and culturally competent therapists utilize evidence-based therapies to treat trauma at its core and enable clients to begin the healing process while developing a resilient and healthy relationship with stress. Château Recovery is trusted by departments and agencies from around the county to treat responders and veterans, in fact it is one of only a handful of facilities nationwide that is vetted and approved to treat members of the Fraternal Order of Police. For more information, or to speak to a representative, go to ChâteauRecovery.com or call 888-507-5031. First Responder Trauma Counselors are subject matter experts in proactive behavioral health care for frontline workers through their National Peer Support Academy. This 40-hour, all badges, all uniforms, all scrubs, educational experience helps you create caring, honest, and empathetic peer support relationships with your fellow frontline workers. FRTC's National Peer Support Academy is taught by actual first responders who have gone back to school to become culturally competent licensed behavioral health clinicians who teach from lived experience, not just theories from books. This fast paced, immersive, educational academy will not just change your life, it will help you save the lives of others. For additional details, go to their website 911overwatch.org or contact first responder trauma counselors at 970. 222-4193, this could be the most life-changing academy you'll ever attend.